That's right. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's just start with a word of prayer this morning. All right. I want to I want to start us off in that way. So God, we just invite you into this place, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would speak to us. Um, God, that your word would be going out, um, and we know when your word goes out, it's not going to return void. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place, make this place uh, uh, just palpable with your presence, speak to our hearts, um, and, uh, and let the truth uh, resonate with, uh, with our hearts, with what you're trying to say to us today. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, uh, it is good to be here with you this morning to worship again on a Sunday morning. I'm grateful for this community. I'm grateful to have you all here. I'm grateful for the people that aren't able to be here, but they're spread out in other places because um, they're a part of our community as well. And maybe you're watching online um, or that kind of a thing. But uh, like Jeremy said, this is the, the, the series uh, After God's Heart. And I think this is probably the last of uh, the, the weeks, probably, unless something happens this week and I decide we're going to do one more. Um, but this, uh, this week, man, this message... Um, is going places that I didn't see coming, all right? I did not expect to be headed this way when I started out studying this scripture. Normally, I kind of go into a week with the scripture, kind of, all right, here's how the direction, here's a theme we're going to hit. Um, and we do kind of hit what I, was, what I was thinking, but uh, man, in the middle of the week, stuff just started to get sideways in a good way, um, and, and, and we started going places that I didn't expect. Um, and I've been able to see uh, some things that were like kind of floating around in my brain, um, that were disconnected thoughts kind of come together. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, Tuesday, I think it was, um, I was feeling some of these things, thinking some of these things, and I just, um, I texted a group of people and I just said, hey, um, what are you hearing from God this week about our church? Because I'm getting some feelings, I'm having some thoughts, but I need to, I don't want to be out on left field on this stuff. And, uh, and so I got some feedback on some of that stuff. And... Um, We'll come back around to those thoughts, all right, because a lot of that stuff connects in this way. But this morning's going to be a little bit different in the way that we do this message. I'm going to lay a lot of groundwork, and you're going to be asking the question, okay, what does that have to do with my life? What's the application? We're going to talk about the scripture, and we're going to get back to the application, all right? We're going to come back around to it because I think it's very important and it's very significant for us as a church, the message that God wants to, to give to us this morning. I'm having trouble with my mic. Um, so the scripture that we're going to do is we're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 24, 2 Samuel chapter 24, and this is the last chapter of 2 Samuel. It's right before David kind of passes over kingship to Solomon. Um, but what we have in this scenario is that David has decided to take a census. Now, we might think, well, big deal. David wants to take a census. He wants to take a census of his army. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is God said, don't take a census. And David decides to. David does. Um, and so that is a big deal. And, uh, and so there's lots of theories about why God says, you know, don't, don't take a census. And, and probably it has to do with pride and probably has to do with not trusting God and all of those things. Um, but all throughout the history of Israel, God has said, don't take a census. And anytime anybody does take a census, something bad happens, right? In, in Israel and Judah. And specifically this time, David has counted his army and uh, he's enlisted people. He's enrolled them into the army where before it was kind of 100% volunteer thing. They just showed up. And, um, and because of that, God sends a plague. That's the, the, the um, consequences of David's decision. And actually, God, David is given three 
three choices. God says, all right, um, you can have, David, you need to choose this, three years of famine or three months of running from your enemies or three days of plague. And eventually David just kind of settles on three days of plague. He doesn't really say he chooses that, but that's what happens. Three days of plague and 70,000 people die in this plague because of David's decision to take a census. So we're going to pick up in verse uh, 16 of 2 Samuel chapter 24, and we're going to read through verse 25. So verse 16, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people and said, Behold, it is I who have sinned, it is I who have done wrong, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. Aruna looked down and saw the king his, and his servants crossing over toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. Then Aruna said, why has the, my king, or excuse me, why has my lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. Aruna said to David, let my lord, the king, Take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes for the oxen, for the wood, everything, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. However, the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor, bought the threshing floor, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land and the plague was held back from Israel. Uh, now, if you want another telling of this story, you can go to uh, Chronicles, First Chronicles uh, chapter 21. There's, it's a parallel. It's like, kind of like the, the Gospels when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's kind of the same stories, but there's a little bit of a different details involved there. And we're going to come back around to that fact in a little bit. Um, but it's very similar in how things play out, all right? There's a plague. So David takes a census. There's a plague because of that. Um, David is instructed to go offer burnt offerings. Aruna offers everything and says, here, you can have it all. And David says, no, I'm not going to just take this stuff for free. I'm going to pay you for it. I'm going to buy it. David buys it. David offers the sacrifices um, to, to God, and the plague stops, okay? So there's a lot of things that I want to get to in this today, but I want to start with this idea that David was told to build an altar, okay? David was instructed. He was directed. God said, through Gad the prophet, go build this altar at this specific location. So it's not something that David decided to do on his own. He wasn't brought to this point by, by a remorse for what he's done. This is something that God tells David to do. This is where you need to do it. This is what you need to do. Go make it happen. And I just got to thinking about that thing, right? That process. Isn't it interesting that God brings this plague, right? I mean, it's, it's because of David's actions, but God brings the plague 
because of David's actions. But it's also God who tells David to go do the thing that stops the plague, right? Go do the thing, build the altar that then moves God to a place of stopping the plague. So essentially you could say that God is responsible for moving himself. You see what I'm saying? God, built, God, God sends the plague as a result of David's actions, but God then says to David, hey, David, go build this altar, make the sacrifices. David does it, and God is moved to a point of stopping the plague, right? So God is like involved in, in everything in this, in all of these parts. God brings the plague and then also does the thing that moves him to stop the plague. And it's really interesting. All I'm saying is God is involved through this whole process, okay? God knew this was going to happen. He knew that there was going to be a census. He knew that there would be a plague. He knew that there would be burnt offerings. He knew that there would be an end to the plague. My question is, why all the drama in between, right? Why is all the drama in between necessary? If, God, if the point was for God to do this thing and to kill off 70,000 people, why not just do it? Why, and, and then move on from there, okay? Why have Gad go to David, who then goes to Aruna, who offers the stuff to give to David, which then David refuses and then buys instead, and then build the altar and kill the oxen and burn the, the wood and the, the oxen and then stop the plague? Why, what's the point of the drama in between? You ever think about that? And, and, and get it bigger, right? Think about it on a bigger scale. God, if you've got these purposes, if you've got these things that are going to happen and you know they're going to happen, why not just do them? Snap your fingers. Get to the point. Why all the stuff in between? Why all the drama? Step back another step. Take it to the level of humanity and say, why even bother with us at all, God? Right? Why did you need humanity? You knew, you knew there was going to be a mess. Why bother with it? You knew it was going to, where, which direction it was going to go when, Adam, when you created Adam and Eve. And in the end, you knew that you were going to have to come and you were going to have to die to fix it and redeem it. Why not just skip all that and create the new Jerusalem, the new world, new heaven and new earth to begin with? Why not? Why not just skip it all? Why deal with all the drama in between? The only answer to that is because he individually wants the relationship that's part of that process. He individually wants the relationship with every single one of us. And I believe all these purposes and all these things that God does and that God wills and, and all that on the gigantic scale, the cosmic scale, it's all because of relationship with you and me. That's the reason. It all comes back to relationship. People are not just pawns in God's cosmic game that he is playing where he, where, where he uses us for his purposes and then he throws us away, right? That's the kind of thinking, honestly, that limits God. God is big enough to work his purposes in order to have relationship with us. He was he was doing all of this stuff moving in Israel while also doing these things in David because he's interested in the individual relationship with David, not just the end result, 
I think God kind of, eh, whatever, end result, right? It's the relationship that he's interested in. And don't think this is just about David's relationship with God, right? Sometimes we get sidetracked and we think we focus on like David's the main character. His relationship with God is all that, that is, is kind of going on here. This is about every single person who is involved in this story, including those people that David enrolled in the army, including the commanders in the army that told David, hey, listen, this isn't a good idea. Why would you do that? That argued with David and David said, no, we're going to do it. Right? God's interested in relationship with those people too. This includes the 70,000 people that died in this plague. This includes the family members of the people who survived those people who passed away in this plague. Every single individual. So many times in our lives, we, we take things to two extremes. And that's the extreme where we say, well, I'm just a pawn in God's purposes, Right? And the other extreme is, I am the center of everything that's happening in my life. I am the center. God, God is using this situation to teach me a lesson, right? And we forget there's other people involved in these scenarios. So we come up with things like, well, my kids go off the rails. They don't meet my expectations. Well, that's because God's trying to teach me a lesson. Really? God is sending your kids off the rails so he can teach you a lesson. What about them? right? God's interested in a relationship with them too. Maybe he's doing something in their lives as well. So it's more than just David in this story. It's the relationship with every single person in there. God is simultaneously working his plans, knowing the outcomes of everything while also working in you because of his individual relationship with you while also working in the person sitting next to you while also working in the person who you're in that argument at work with. See that? God is interested in the relationship. God is big enough to know and care about the hairs on your head individually while also holding the entire universe together. Why? Because he is interested in relationship with you individually and with every other single person on this planet. Now, 90% of the people on this planet don't acknowledge God or don't have a relationship with him or aren't interested in a relationship with him. But he's interested in them and a relationship with them. So God told David to go and to build this altar because he was working in David and Gad and Aruna and everybody else in Israel. God has big plans, right? And they involve you and me, and us collectively. That's what I'm trying to say. And that's because of the relationship with us individually. It's not because he can't do it without us. It's because he's interested in the relationship that we build with him. So David goes where Gad tells him to do, to build this altar, because God has some stuff that's going on here. And where does David go? Like, where does God tell Gad, man, that's confusing. Where does God tell Gad to tell David to go to build this altar? He tells him to go to the threshing floor, the threshing floor of Aruna. And I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that name right, but that's how I pronounce it. So as I was studying this, I just had to ask, I was like, okay, why the threshing floor? What's the deal 
with the threshing floor. Like if you're going to build an altar, an altar is a place of worship. It's a place where you offer sacrifices. You don't do that on a threshing floor, right? A threshing floor, if you don't know, it's, it's a place for agricultural process, okay? But the threshing floor is where uh, it's like a smooth, hard surface where you would take your wheat after the harvest, you would take the grain after the harvest, you spread it out on the threshing floor, and some animals, whether oxen or donkeys or, or people, pull a, like a big heavy sledge platform kind of thing around that surface. And what it does is it causes like friction, rubs that wheat, uh, and, and the, then it separates the wheat, the good part, the usable part, from the chaff, okay? And that's like the outside skin. Picture like a, a sunflower seed. So you got to get, get rid of the shell to get to the berry, the, the seed inside, right? So that's what the threshing floor was for. So it's like causing this friction, separating the wheat, actual good stuff from the chaff. And then in that process, you would take what they, it's like a pitchfork, a winnowing fork. You scoop it up, you kind of shake it out a little bit, you toss it up into the air a little bit, let the wind catch the unusable chaff because it's real light, it's not like a shell, but it, and, and, the, and the wind will carry that off and the good stuff falls down. And then you collect that, right? And you take it into your, your grain stores, wherever you do with it. But it's a, thre- it's, it's a threshing floor. It's like a pr- place for agricultural processing. Why go there? Why worship there? Why build an altar in the middle of a, of a, of a pr- place that's like God tells me to go go to a factory and it's a working factory they're packing uh green beans i don't know they're canning green beans and we're supposed to go there and we're, we're gonna go set up a church there like i know the church is running and it's operating but i want you to go worship there it's kind of a weird place right why would that happen well there's symbolism involved in the threshing floor we know in scripture it's talked about in a couple of different ways. The first way is that the threshing floor is talked about in reference to blessing, okay? Because it'll talk about the threshing floors. If the threshing floor is full, that means there's plenty to eat. There's lots of grain. So it's a symbolism of blessing. So if you go to Joel chapter 2, verse 24, it says, The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Then I will make up, for, I will make up to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust, my great army will I send, I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and will be satisfied. Okay? So the threshing floors will be full. It's this symbolism of blessing, God, of, of God restoring, of God renewing. Incidentally, that's also the chapter, Joel chapter two, where P, the Peter quotes in the book of Acts, where he says, I will pour out my spirit on you. In those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will have visions. So it's, it's a blessing. Right? God is restoring. God is renewing. That's the kind of language that the threshing floor represents. The second thing symbolically that the, the threshing floor represents is a little less positive, right? And it's judgment or it's like separation. It's dividing out of things. And you see that symbolism because the wheat and the chaff are separated out. You keep the good stuff. You get rid of the bad stuff. So like in Matthew chapter three, John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. And he says, verse 11, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork 
is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat to the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right? So it's this, Jesus, it's this image of Jesus coming and separating out the good from the bad. It's, it's a judgment in that sense, right? Um, so the threshing floor is not just like this place for like an agricultural process. Um, it also holds a lot of symbolism. And, and we're not the only ones that understand that. David gets it, okay? So David, coming from a place where he just experienced his actions causing 70,000 people to die from a plague, and God says, go up to the threshing floor, oh, that should probably, bing, there's a light bulb going off in David's head. God's trying to tell me something about this judgment, about this, this whole process, right? Um, and so even though it's kind of a weird place for us, it doesn't make sense. It's not a place for worship. It might make a little bit of sense to David, having just come through what he has come through um, in that way. So that's why the threshing floor. It's still a weird place, right? still doesn't make a lot of sense as why you'd go worship there. But that's what David is instructed to do, and David does it. The last point that I want to make this morning about this scripture is really the meat of the thing. Okay, and remember, I'm coming back. I'm bringing all this in. Application is coming at the end. Um, But it's the statement that David makes. And this is where most, if you hear a sermon on this passage, this is where, like, people grab a hold of this thing, okay? Um, When Aruna finds out that David the king is coming to build his altar here on the threshing floor, Aruna, like, jumps ahead, and he's like, here, I will give you everything, David. And I didn't catch it before I was reading it in, um, in run-through. I read the scripture, and Aruna offers everything except the threshing floor, right? He says, you can, you can have everything. Here's the oxen. Here's the wood to burn. Here, you, can, you can take it all. Take the equipment. Take everything. Here's the altar. But he doesn't offer the threshing floor. Why? Because it's his threshing floor. Is he going to give that away? That's his income, right? We'll come back to that idea. But Aruna offers it all. He's like, here, you can have it all. And David makes this statement. This is what people grab onto. I can see him like tossing this idea around a little bit, but then he says, no, I can't do that. I will surely buy it from you, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. So I want to talk a little bit before we get into some deep stuff, I want to talk about the sacrifice, right? What a statement from David. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, which cost me nothing. Very bold statement, right? Basically, he's saying, I can't do this on another man's dollar. It's got to come from me. And I think that's true for David on a multiple levels. There's a couple of levels here. The first one is that, like, ethically, David probably feels a little bit of guilt, like, oh, man, that'd be really nice if somebody offered that sacrifice for me, but God told me to do this, so I guess I'll do it, right? But also, (laughs) a sacrifice is only a sacrifice. Like, it's in the name, right? A sacrifice is only a sacrifice from you if it costs you something. So if David offered the stuff that Aruna brought to him, he would be offering something, he would be burning something, but that'd be Aruna's sacrifice. That'd be Aruna's offering rather than, than David's. And so just by that word sacrifice or the burnt offerings, it's got to come from David. If it doesn't cost you anything, then it's not your sacrifice. 
So if David didn't buy this, if he didn't pay for it, then he wouldn't be offering it from David. It would be Aruna's. So David is saying, listen, if this is going to be my offering, if this is going to be my altar, if this is going to be my place for worship, then I'm going to pay for it. It's going to cost me on some level. I have to make it happen from my means, and I'm happy to make it happen from my means. I'm happy for this to be my place. So I will absolutely, willingly pay you for it, Aruna. Because I want this place to be my altar and my offering and my worship. It's what God instructed me to do. So David offers that, and it costs him something. But it also costs Aruna something. Remember, it's not just about David. Aruna sold his livelihood right then and there. He didn't expect it. The king just kind of waltzed up. It's like imminent domain, right? If, somebody, if the government's going to build a road through your front yard, they'll pay you something for it. But if you say no, they'll just take it, right? I mean, it's kind of what's happening. And this was Aruna's livelihood. Not everybody had a threshing floor. People would bring their wheat to Aruna, and he would either grind it or they would grind it and, or, or whatever. But they, like, it was his livelihood. And so the king comes and buys it. That's a sacrifice for Aruna. It cost Aruna something too to sell this property. So David buys this threshing floor. He buys the oxen. He buys the equipment and he builds this altar. It is a little place of worship for him. Just a little place of worship for David because God said so. And in that spot right there, it was David's worship david's relationship to god on the cosmic scale even on the scale of israel as a whole that's not a big deal right but there's something else amazing about this thing if you go to second chronicles chapter 3 verse 1 it says this then solomon david's son king after him then solomon began to build the house of the lord in jerusalem on mount moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David at a place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now that's a different name, Ornan, but it's the same guy, right? It's like this, the Matthew, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of the details are different, but it's the same guy. It's the same spot. So this spot that David buys, that's just the threshing floor, it's not a place that you would build an altar. It's not a place where you would go for worship. It's an agricultural place. It's out of the way. This place for just David to worship now becomes a few years later a place where millions will worship. Isn't that crazy? Because David bought that property. If, ba if David hadn't made the paid the, paid the price or made the call or excuse me, paid the cost for it. If David hadn't bought it, it wouldn't have been the site of the temple because it would have been Aruna's threshing floor. You see that? It would have just gone back to being a threshing floor and used for its purposes, and it would have been great for Aruna, right? But David bought it. David owned it. And so it got passed down to Solomon, which then used it as the site for this place to worship God for hundreds of thousands, millions of people. It was a place where all kinds of other people could worship and could connect with God. Because David bought it, because David owned it, the temple was built there.
application. Great story, Pastor Justin. Great story. What does that have to do with me? Right? So I began to process this, all of these things this week. I began to ask, okay, what is, well, God, what are you saying through all this? It's not clear to me. God's got incredible plans, and they involve you and me because he's interested in relationship. He's not just interested in accomplishing plans. He's interested in relationship with us, individually and collectively. What's the significance of the threshing floor as a place of processing after the harvest? And the fact that David bought the threshing floor. He bought it. He owned it. And it became the temple where millions of people connected with God. It wasn't just for David anymore. What is this? What are all these things? And so I began to ask God, what are you saying to us? What are you saying to me? And I started to hear some things and think some things. And I said, all right, I got to check with some other people. So I reached out to other people and I texted this group. I don't know why I texted this group of people, but I, that's the group of people that came up when I, and I just, I sent them a text. I said, what are you hearing God say to you about our church? I want to know. What is it? I don't want to be out here on my own, my left, in the left field thinking about this stuff. I want to know that God is speaking to others in the same way that he's speaking to me. Last week at the end of service, I stood up here and I shared with, with you all the birth announcement from a family in Kansas, right? That had experienced some incredible work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they wanted to affirm that with us and what God is doing here in this place. Um, and then at the bottom of that card, as I read that card, Audra, who wrote the card, put on that card a verse and as I read it here on Sunday morning, I started to cry because I, I hadn't, it hadn't connected with me the way that it connected in that moment. And here's the verse. I don't know if this is the quote or not, but this is what she wrote. It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And as I read that last week, I, I began to cry or I kind of I got emotional because it connected with me in a way that I hadn't expected it to. Because last year, probably right about at that exact time, maybe the month before, maybe the month after, I was feeling unsettled on a Sunday morning before worship, and I just asked Andrea to pray for me. And Andrea prayed for me, and then she listened, and uh, she, saw, she, she saw a vision, and she shared it with me. She said, I see you, see your legs walking through a field. It's tall grass, it's wheat, it's something but just from your legs down, you're walking through a field. That was it. And I immediately, when she said that, I immediately connected it with this verse right here. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And in connecting that for me and in connecting that, I read that or I, I, I thought about that verse and I said, all right, harvest is coming. There's a harvest coming. Ask for workers, and so I began to do that. And then I read that verse on that card last week again, and I was immediately taken back to that verse to feel, to, to remember that God was, there's a harvest. God's saying there's a harvest. There's a harvest coming. There's a harvest coming. And yet I haven't seen the harvest. And I began to process, God, what, what, why haven't we seen the harvest? Why haven't I seen the harvest? I feel like that's what you're saying to me, and I feel like that's, that's the reality. And then this week, 
as I was reading these passages from 2 Samuel chapter 24, and I was thinking about the threshing floor as a place where wheat is taken after the harvest for processing to be made useful, I was again reminded of the harvest verse. And it occurred to me that a harvest is no good if there's not a threshing floor. A harvest is no good if there's not a place to take the harvest and for it to be processed into something to be used, right? If you don't have the threshing floor, the wheat is no good. You can't use it. It'll rot. And maybe we haven't seen the workers. Maybe we haven't seen the harvest because we don't have the threshing floor yet. We're not ready for the harvest. And so I reached out to some people, this is what I'm thinking, and I reached out to people and I said, hey, what are you hearing from God? What, what's God saying to you? And they responded with some things, and I'm, these, are, these are quotes, I'm going to read them. Not the whole thing, all of them, but because some of them got real long. <laughs> um, but they shared things like this. There have been a lot of palpable negative vibes in the last couple of weeks, but things feel warmer and more loving right now. That's a shift, Right? That's a turning. Somebody else wrote, I'm getting the feeling of expansion or explosion, particularly with the Holy Spirit in our church. I hear that we're going to see slash hear palpable things from the Holy Spirit. I didn't tell these people what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling, right? I just said, what are you hearing? Somebody else shared, I'm getting a feeling that we're going to be serving our community in more and maybe new ways. And I'm hearing freedom a lot. I don't know if that means specifically the freedom in Christ classes I used to do, or if it's more general, like helping others be free in Christ, like be free to, to be loved and love him completely without all the baggage or free from guilt or anything else that gets in the way of our glorious freedom in him. I feel a pressing need to help people discover the same love and freedom and joy that I have in him. harvest is coming. I feel that in the deepest part of me. The harvest is coming. God is doing something in Frankfort, Kentucky. Another word that I got from somebody that didn't make sense at first, they said, I, I wasn't feeling anything, but I prayed, and I, I got, the word is again. Again, what does that mean? Put it in the context of this. Ask again. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers because the harvest is plentiful. Ask again. So I'm asking again. But I'm asking with the understanding of the scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 24 that we read this morning that the harvest is no good without the threshing floor. Without the threshing floor, the harvest goes bad. It's not useful to anybody. So what's the threshing floor in this? threshing floor is his church. It's us as a body. It's the message of the gospel, of the good news, of the message of righteousness, the message of grace, this family, this body. It's the threshing floor, what we stand for, who we are, what we're doing, what we're all experiencing. It's the threshing floor. We got to buy it. We got to own it. And we can leave it for somebody else. Somebody else can do it. Somebody else can manage it. Somebody else can pay for it. Somebody else can foot the bill of the time or the energy or the money or the resources or the cost of ownership in this church. Somebody else can buy into that righteousness and that grace stuff. 
and we can stay here as a little church. It's kind of just for us, like the threshing floor would have gone back to the threshing floor. That was the opportunity that David had. Let somebody else offer the sacrifice that Aruna, let him pay for it. Let him give the sacrifice. And that threshing floor would have remained a threshing floor forever. The temple wouldn't have been built there. But David bought it. David owned it. And because he bought and owned it, a house of worship for millions was there. Millions of people connected with God in in that place. You, me, we together collectively have the opportunity to let somebody else make the sacrifice or we can buy it and we can own it. And buying it does mean that it's going to cost something. Whether that means literally because we're given more, we want to give sacrificially because we believe what God is doing here, what God is saying and the message that's going out from this place, whether that means our time, we're sacrificing some of our time for that because you believe in the message and believe what this church is about. Whether that means buying wholeheartedly into the idea of a new covenant and letting the old covenant go, letting any performance-based gospel go, buying into grace, buying the message of righteousness, because that will cost you. I guarantee it, it will cost you. It will cost you your pride about your past knowledge of, uh, of Scripture, of the Bible. It means admitting that maybe... I've lived my whole Christian life. I've been a Christian for 20 years and I've lived this thing and I missed some of the understanding, some of the truth. Maybe I missed the main part of the truth, right? That's gonna cost you in that way. It might cost you the self-assurance that somehow you performing better means God's happier with you. Buying and owning this message might mean that some people, some friends and family in your life think you've gone off the deep end. And you just say anything goes. Go ahead, sin all you want. Because they misunderstand what we're saying about grace and about righteousness. It might cost you some respect of your peers or people you really look up to. It might mean choosing to spend some time and energy in relationships with people within the church who aren't, those relationships aren't yet as comfortable as some of the relationships you have outside of the church. But if we decide to buy this threshing floor and we worship here, I believe that we will see a harvest come in, that we will be a place that people connect with God in ways that they don't experience in other ways and in other places. And I believe that God has bigger purposes for this church than just this little sweet two of section of building C in suburban park. He's got bigger plans. He's got bigger purposes than that. And just like that threshing floor went from a place where David was supposed to worship himself, we will go from a, from a place where we just worship ourselves to a place where I don't know how many, it's not going to be hundreds of thousands or millions, I don't think, but it's going to be a lot more than 80, Right? where that many people can come and experience and connect with God and understand who they are in Christ and understand what he's done, what he wants to do in them. 
we're willing to buy it, if we're willing to buy this threshing floor, this church will go from just us experiencing God in new ways to becoming a house of worship, a body of hope, a body of grace that none of us ever saw coming. None of us even asked for. One of the last responses that I got to my question when I reached out to people, the, the question of what do you hear God saying about our church was they saw a teeter-totter. A teeter-totter. And the people are on the edge of leaning and buying in. People are ready to grab hold of that message. They're ready for that. And they're just about there. But the thing about a teeter-totter is it's just as easy to go the other way and to go back and just be okay with letting somebody else offer the sacrifice. God's got plans, and he wants you and I to be involved because, not because he wants to do this incredible thing just for the sake of doing it, but because he wants the relationship of us as he does the stuff. Are you willing to buy the threshing floor with me? I want to see the harvest. I want to see this church be a place where people can come to Christ for the first time, where they find and accept his gift of grace and they grow in it. I want this church to be a place where people who have been eaten and chewed up and spit out by religion to be able to come in and find rest. To understand the truth of who Christ made them when they were born again. That he's not after performance, he's after relationship. I want people who've been born again believers for 35 years to discover there's actually freedom in Christ. Will you buy the threshing floor with me? Will you make this your own? going to take trust. I was struck earlier this week when I was reading this thing that David was asked to go to buy this thing. This was, It wasn't David's life, right? This wasn't forever for David. David didn't live on the threshing floor. It was a time. It was a thing that David went and he did. Not saying it's going to cost us and it's going to be a sacrifice for the rest of your life. You're going to have to give 90% of your income so you live in poverty, but God's going to do some stuff. I'm not saying that. This was a time for David. Will you buy this threshing floor with me? Will you make it your own? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to bully you into anything. And I'm not begging. I'm just saying what I hear God saying. And I'm presenting to you the question that I hear God asking. Why doesn't the worship team come on back up? As they do, there's been one other vision that's been shared. I don't know if you know the, the tree thing right there. The tree is, is significant in a lot of ways for us, for me, as the pastor of this church. And it just keeps coming up and coming up and coming up. Trees, 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 trees. And one of the visions that, that happened on a Sunday morning in this church 
was somebody who was sitting right over there, and they said, as you were preaching, I saw a vision of seeds coming out of your mouth. And those seeds were planted, and those seeds grew up into great big trees, and people were able to come under those trees and find rest. There's a place in Scripture in Isaiah that says that we'll be like oaks of righteousness. I believe that's what we are. I believe that's what this church is, that this church is a place where seeds are being planted. God had to do it in me first, but now seeds are being planted about the truth of who you are in Christ. And people are starting to grab a hold of those things, and that's starting to grow in people's life. We're starting to see these trees of righteousness grow. Where guilt and shame don't have any place and they don't hold any of us anymore. We're seeing those trees grow and people are starting to press into who they are in Christ and the freedom of who they are in Christ. And other people are going to come underneath those trees and they're going to find rest because they don't find that anywhere else. They find religion that makes them run in circles trying to please God. That's not what God wants. God wants relationship. And this can be a place where those trees of righteousness grow and we give shade, and other people can get those seeds. That vision continued, and people would come underneath those things, and they would pick the fruit, and they would eat the fruit. Guess what? When you, ha- when you eat fruit, more seeds get planted. I won't tell you about that process, okay? <laughs> but more seeds get planted in other places. It's going to go out from here. It's not just going to be this place. Even if it's this whole building, it's not going to be just this building. This ministry goes beyond this place. Will you buy the threshing floor with me? That's what I'm asking. Will you buy it? Will you press in to the truth of grace and righteousness and who Christ has made you to be? If you want to, I've got a book for you. It's not here right now, but I'll buy it for you. The Cure is a great one. This one's not The Cure, so it's a different one if you want to read another book about who you are in Christ. It's called Live Like Jesus. And it's not you got to go and do this thing in order to live like Jesus. It's like, live like Jesus because you've been created like Jesus in the righteousness of Christ, right? Just living out who you are. I'd love to give you that book. Why don't you stand to your feet? The other thing that we're going to do this morning is uh, I want a prayer time because I feel like this church, because of this message and because of the message of other things that are happening in this uh, in this place and in the lives of people, this church is being attacked. And I don't say that lightly. I, don't, I was telling somebody earlier, or we were talking, and the thought came to my mind, we're being attacked. I didn't say it out loud because I don't like to like, speak those things out into existence. Um, and then I looked at my phone, and my verse of the day was uh, from Ephesians 6. Now, we don't fight. The, the, the battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the darkness. It's against the principalities of this dark world. It's not by chance, guys. It's not by chance. We're fighting a battle and the enemy's coming against us because of what he knows can happen if we buy the threshing floor. If we buy it. So I want a prayer time. We got a lot of people. I named seven people this morning in this church, this little church, seven people who are experiencing serious physical health situations. Seven people. A couple of people in the hospital, right? A couple people not in the hospital, but diagnosis is not good. Count of people with relatives who have passed away, people who have relatives who are, 
who are very ill, who are not doing well at all. And it's an attack. It's a distraction from what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. And I want to pray for those things because I believe one of the words was we'll see the Holy Spirit do things in and among us. And I believe that to be the truth. And I want to pray for those things. And I want to ask, and I'll ask 500 times, and I feel like a fool every time I do it. But I'm going to ask 500 times if I can see one healing. I'll do it. I'll do it. So I'm going to go back there. Andrea's back there. Angela's back there. You all, this is a priesthood of believers, right? So pray for one another. Move. Part of buying in, part of, and I hate that term, but part of buying, part of owning this church is owning the ministry. You are a minister in this church, right? You are a minister. If you are made new in Christ, you have the same righteousness that I have. I'm not more holy than you. So you have the same spirit in you. So move and pray for one another. If you need prayer, go ask for prayer. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. So we're going to sing a couple more songs. I don't care what time it is. I guess we're doing all right. We're going to sing a couple more songs. And uh, let's just pray for one another. And let's just worship. And let's ask the Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Move among us, stir us, stir the passion inside of us. Not just for the sake of of getting all trumped up and rah-rah. Stir the passion inside of us because we want to see you move. We want to see you do miracles. We want to see people healed. We want to see people set free. We want to see you work. We want to be a part of that. We love you, Jesus. Hey, this is Pastor Justin. I hope this message has been meaningful to you today. I know many of you who listen to this podcast are not a part of our local church body. For those of you outside of our community or outside of our state, I would love to hear from you about how you discovered our church and maybe about how this ministry is impacting your life. You can reach out to us at info at or find us on Facebook and message the church in that way. I would also let you know that you can now watch the sermon live on our YouTube channel each Sunday morning a little bit after 10.45 a.m. The audio will begin as soon as the sermon starts. Either way, God bless you, and I hope you continue to grow and to mature in Christ in who he has already made you as his righteous and redeemed child. Amen, and God bless you.